The Big Sip. Hey, y'all. This is Gabriela Fernandez, your host of The Big Sip, here for another edition. Super excited because The Big Sip is expanding to include voices of people in the tech industry, which is very, very needed, uh, as we'll learn from Rocio Van Nirop, who I have the pleasure of speaking with today. She is the co-founder and CEO of Latinas in Tech, which is an organization that's striving to represent Latinas in the tech industry across the entire ecosystem. And Rocio, I'm I'm very familiar with wine. I know very little about tech and the uh-huh. entire ecosystem that it encompasses. Bienvenida, welcome. I mean, that industry is huge. What what, what can you tell me about the tech industry? Just as we kind of get some background information. Yeah, yeah. First of all, Gabby, thank you so much for inviting me today. Uh, I'm really excited to talk uh, a little bit about tech, especially. You know, you guys have been focusing so much in in wine and general things, and I'm super happy to involve people into what tech is, and especially for Latinos, what are our struggles and our opportunities. Thousand percent. Thank you for having me. The tech industry uh, sounds very uh, techy, very. (laughs) It's really anybody that works in anything that involves a computer, basically in easy words, that's tech. So, uh, Google. Uh, Meta, uh, Pinterest, anything that involves your phone or coding or internet, that's usually the tech industry. Most of us do software, but there's also people that do hardware or do technology, like high tech, like biotech. But at Latinas in Tech, we're an, a, a group that really started informally, and we do not define for them what a Latina is or what tech is. Love if it. they believe they are Latina, and if they believe they're in tech, they can freely join our group. It's, a, it's like an affinity group uh, that then later became a nonprofit. Uh, so we started with like two people and now we're 20,000 people. Oh so my gosh. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. Yeah, it is huge. It is huge. So just to tell you a little more about uh, tech. So the tech industry is anybody that works in the creation and innovation process of technology. So if you have an app, tell me one app in your phone. Say Instagram. Instagram. Okay, for Instagram, you need people coding. You need people selling it. You need people advertising, relations with advertisers and content managers. Uh, there are so many people that are involved in it. It's not just the person doing the code. So everybody works for tech. Now, there's companies that are not precisely Instagram that might be Nike or Home Depot but they mm. have a website and they have artificial intelligence in it. So there's technical employees at those traditional companies. So that's still are real. No, that means there's so many different things, kind of like at the beginning when we talked about this ecosystem, right? There's so many arms and branches of the tech industry in general that most people wouldn't even think about. Before you started Latinas in Tech, what side of the tech industry were you a part of? How did you dive into the tech industry that then pushed you, lanzaste to to want to create Latinas in Tech and have that visible platform? Uh, I love that question because I was actually a Latina in Tech for 20 years. Don't calculate my age, please. (laughs) (laughs) So I was exactly in the middle in between business and the technical side. So I was in product marketing. So although I sit in marketing, I also sit in product. So I would be the liaison between uh, the business side and the technical side, uh, understanding what the market needs, understanding the business side of any solution we Hmm. could build. But then I would sit with engineers building the product itself because I need to make sure that that product is going to have a market fit. 
So I would advocate for the customer and the market need. And then I would phrase the benefit to the marketing team and to the consumers. So Instagram as an example, uh, I would go there and say, well, people need this. And we ideate and create that together. Then the product team will, they, they, they do their magic. And then I work with the, team, the business team to sell it. So how we're going to talk about it, how we're going to communicate it. Because if an engineer tells you what is a new thing, like, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't understand anything. So I would be that translator. I'd be like, speak English to me. I don't understand. Exactly. I'm your bilingual person here. <laughs> I love that. So you are and have really been for the last few years, several years that you've been involved in this, like the connector between helping the consumer and I, I like you said, the engineers who can do all the coding and everything, understand what people's needs are, how to fulfill them. And then you almost have like this virtuous circle to where you then go back, help market market it and help grow it uh, organically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And another big part of my role then was to work with the sales team. So I know how the product works. So I translated it into a sellable lingo. So I worked with sales enablement to make sure they can sell what we created so that they understand the benefits and selling point. I love that part of, uh, that was my last role. I was director of product marketing. Before that, I was in international marketing. So expanding our technology to other markets like Latin America, that's how I started because, you know, Latinas, Latinas in tech. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but then I did other countries. I focused on international expansion. So it wasn't only like, oh, let's translate this. It's, there's launching a product in another country. is another beast, right? You need Ooh. your customers, support people, marketing people, success people. It's not translated. It's a Pandora box that you open. Thousand uh, like percent. Payment method local payment methods and stuff like that. So that's what I used to do. Even understanding people like culturally, right? Because you need yeah. to understand like who your market is at the end of the day. What is it that they like, would dislike yeah. so that you can make sure that you're actually attracting something positive yeah. that will be well-received as opposed exactly. to like everything getting lost in transla translation. Yeah, yeah. The, the, a good example of that uh, at Prezi, which is a presentation uh, software, our main market was the U.S. Like wherever you launch is always your main market, right? Well, first I analyzed like where should we launch next, right? And then we noticed, okay, presentations are huge in the Latin market, especially in Latin America. In Spain, they do use it a lot, but definitely not nearly as much as they do in Mexico, in Colombia, in Brazil. So they, and they love the interaction of Prezi, whereas in a country like Japan, they don't present at all. So cultures change and that translates into how you're going to approach the market and if it's going to make sense. So yeah, it was a fun job. That's so, so that was my role in technology. That's so true. That's it. incredible. And you know, the Histe, you mentioned, you know, you've, you've been a Latina in tech for 20 years now. I'm curious, you know, back 20 years ago, what was it like being a Latina in the tech industry as you see it today and with the 20,000 incredible people that you're able to support with this centralized hub of, of representation and, and showcasing all of these beautiful Latinas that are in technology? Yeah, so, so back then, um, it wasn't common to find other Latinos. So if you find other Latinos, they were most likely coming to clean. And if you mm. were lucky to find other Latinos, uh, it was that, like a manager for the, uh, Latin America, if anything. I was hired in my first role by a Colombian because he was transitioning to a new role. So I was taking his role. But after that, he just didn't work in my area or in my department. So, so since then, I've never, ever, ever had a, anybody above me that was a Latino. 
Wow. Or or to my sides ever in the whole history of my career in tech. Maybe one guy, another another department, but oh, but never a woman, of course. Um, so <laughs> never there, a woman. No, 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 no. Women in general were also not present. The exception is the international teams where a Latina managing Colombia or something, but they're there because they are Latinas. But you wouldn't find them in corporate marketing or in corporate business or, or in engineering, let alone engineering is all white men, right? So I've never been very insecure. So I have always focused on what I'm doing and doing it right. So I never look in the sides, you know, like those horses that are like the, <laughs> so with I, their blinders. The probably cannot see. How do you call them? I just call them blinders. Blinders. Yeah. I, I was so focused on what I was doing. And if there was anything, you know, microaggressions or things like that, they would just, I wouldn't even notice them because that was not what I was doing. It's their problem, not mine. So I managed to grow. And when I arrived here, because I was in Boston, when I arrived here in, in Silicon Valley, like a few years in, uh, I then met another Latina, Gretel. And we were like, oh my God. So it's not that common to find another Latina working. So let's get together. And we got together for coffee. And they say, oh, let's do it again. I have another Latina friend. Uh, and and from two to, we went to four and then to 10 and 16 and, and 100. And we were filling up coffee shops that we said, okay, let's do bars because bars are more fun. And then <laughs> we were filling them up and eventually we were uh, accepted to do the same thing, but in tech companies, but still in the networking side. So um, in the networking part, it was fun because it was never ever a whining thing. Like, oh, I'm Latina, they treat me like this. No, it's like, oh, I'm trying to do this project in Brazil. Like, what do you do there? Like, I remember speaking with people in Netflix that launched there. Like we were, you know, helping each other, telling us, you know, what mistakes not to do and things like that. So just lifting each other up rather than just sharing uh, things. So we were whining, but just with our wine. And here's the <laughs> we were whining, telling about, talking about our successes and our opportunities. So that mentality really attracted a lot of people. And eventually when we had like a thousand people, like let's say we had a, an event uh, and it was at Wibley or at Prezi or at Google. And the day we invited people, that day it was full. Like we would have a wait list. So, so we knew we were onto something. And the first time it was at Google that we did a, a panel. We didn't know if it will go well, like what type of, like we're not teachers or anything. We're just sharing our experiences and our stories. And it was fun. Um, it was relatively senior Latinas in the, in the panel, but then the stories in the questions that were coming in from the audience were like, wow, your story is like good for you to be in the panel. So we knew that we had content forever. <laughs> so that's how we started. And then we just skyrocketed. And now we have six countries, 20,000 Latinas, and, and, and we could grow faster. It's just that that's our problem, right? Like, Catching up all that growth and being yeah. able to deliver. Oh my gosh. I'm like uh, smiling from cheek to cheek because I'm just so amazed and blown away by the tenacity of what can happen when people finally feel visible in a space where they felt so isolated for so long, right? Yeah. Same thing in the wine industry, very similarly, you know, completely different worlds to tech, although, you know, we're both drinking. <laughs> but but a lot of the times it's the same thing. It's just like there's very, very few people of color, let alone Latinas, that you see in wine, certainly not even in positions of power, higher leadership, things like that. So when you do, you're like chicle 
You know, like you want to stick together and you want to figure out like, okay, how can we actually change this landscape? And little by little, that's exactly what you did. You just understood meeting other people who look like you who had maybe similar shared experiences. And you're just like, we need to amplify each other more. We need to celebrate each other more. Como dijiste, just like you said, learning about things to avoid, maybe learning lessons so that everybody could just grow and feed off of one another and create the table together as opposed to everyone continuing to feel isolated like they were on their own, especially in an industry, as you've pointed out, has just been so largely underrepresented when it comes to Latinx individuals in tech. Yep. Well, that's amazing. Seriously, like 20,000, six different countries global. I mean, I... I would literally be so proud if I could even do a third of an inch of what you've been able to accomplish. So seriously, uh, muchas felicidades. Um, I was reading some really interesting data. The Pew Research Center actually released a report last year in April that showed only 8% uh, of total Latinx workers were in STEM. And for Latina women specifically, that only represented 2% of the entire STEM workforce, which you know isn't just technology itself. So that, that percentage number is going to be even smaller than that. Why do you feel, and and also from your experiences, that Latinx individuals are so underrepresented in STEM? You know, what have those challenges for you personally look like, especially as a as a Latina woman of color? Yeah, you're spot on. And two percent is a twofold of what the last research I did, and it wasn't this year. Was like we've always said, is one percent. Uh, this year it might be higher because like, it means it's working when we're there. It means Latina the tech <laughs> okay. is working. Uh, no, no, no. You're right. Uh, for for like this is broader industry, but in tech, 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 uh, especially if you go into decision making positions, the percentage goes a lot slimmer. And there's organizations that, like, let's say uh, Google and really large organizations, they are required to report on diversity, and only Google is the only one that reports on Latinas. So they can wow. report on Latinos and Latinx together, like what different minorities they have, mm -hmm. but they don't split in between men and women, or they split only between men and women, regardless of their um, ethnicities. Uh, yeah, ethnicity. So it is definitely, definitely a problem. And it is a very loaded answer here because we are not represented uh, for a variety of reasons. It's very complicated, but I'll try to address it as simple as I can. So, oh my God. So the companies, let's call them the system. The system definitely has ways to go. So with years, you have seen them try and really do increasing the participation of Latinos, but they're not nearly where they should be. I think it's been a trial and error. So only like five years ago or say seven years ago, they didn't even have any employee with diversity and inclusion in their title. Mm. And as we went by uh, the years, you could see more and more people in diversity and inclusion. And that became like actual teams and became KPIs for the recruiters to bring in people. So they started talking about diversity, like bringing them, but then really including them in things. Then they started talking about diversity and inclusion. Then the conversation kept changing to equity. So it's not the same to let the diverse people enter the meeting room, but are you listening to them? Are you letting them lead projects? So that's where we're focusing to make sure that the organization have enough programs and approaches to have really, really help Latinos not just be there, but grow. So today, just if we see the stats, um, only on Latinos in tech, um, we see that 
Latinos are very well qualified. So 90% of them have bachelor degrees and above. Woo. Most of them are bilingual or even trilingual. And have more than half have six years of experience and above. But yet over 60%, this is crazy, over 60% of them are in the lowest positions in tech and they don't get promoted at the same rate. That's the issue we're finding in our data That's and wild. it's validated by the employee research groups that we work with. So there is a problem and we need to tackle that problem. Now, hold that thought. Why is this problem happening? So not only they're not joining at the same rate, but they're also not being promoted at the same rate. So with what I'm gonna say, I do not remove the responsibility that the system has on fixing this. The system will change, say, in six months, one year, two years, three years. So not as soon as you need it, you need it to change tomorrow. So uh, there's a portion, a very a larger than we think portion of things that we can control and that we can change. And those split into different things. So number one, the way we were programmed by our parents, by our culture, by our mm. friends, the way we're coded is not helping us because the rest of the people that are there, like you go by hierarchy, right? Men, white men, Latinos, white women, other demographics. They feel way more at ease at negotiating their salary, their position, asking for a promotion, blah, blah, blah. and Latinos are like, thankful, thankful, thankful. Heads down, like, uh, I will work as, I, as hard as I can because we go understanding that you need to perform 200% to receive 50% of others. I so know. there's also a misconception. I mean, it can have a part of truth, but if you really keep believing that nothing is going to happen because nobody's going to come to you and say, oh, mija, so great work. I'm going to promote and give you a raise. That does not happen. No, y so, tenemos so, in our culture la, la mentalidad, the mentality that you just be thankful for what you have. Exactly. You know, don't ask for more. Don't risk that putting off somebody else. And so we grow up and I've certainly, you know, have been raised with that same mentality of, yeah. of you know, oh, well, like maybe no es buena idea. Maybe it's not a good idea to ask for that or to say this. Calladita te ves más bonita. Just keep your exactly. head down. Keep doing the work. And so yeah. you're right. That's that is one step. Understanding that the system it definitely plays its role, but you're you're breaking down so many other things. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry, I just I wanted to chime in because no, that right. speaks you're so totally much right. truth. Totally right. And I want to recall one situation where in Airbnb at an event. And we had a panel of recruiters and those recruiters were from big companies like Netflix, we had Facebook, that was not Meta yet, uh, uh, and another one. And the audience were asking questions to the panel. And basically they were asking how, if you could you know, come up with a percentage, what percentage of salary increases and promotions are given, not promotions, salary increases are given versus asked for and they said about they they were debating there was conversation but they the consensus was that about 90 percent of the salary increases in tech happen because people ask for them 90 percent so then I that's to, wild yeah i turned to the audience about 100 latinas and i asked them okay raise your hand if in the last 12 months and you've been hired for 12 months in the last 12 months and you're not on a performance improvement plan you're not you know under uh, underachieving, but have you asked for a raise in the last 12 months? And I think three raised their hand. Oh my gosh. So who has the problem here? Yeah, the system, that shouldn't be 90%. They should volunteer a lot more, but that is not how the system that, like they're not gonna prevent others from asking for not asking so that you're at the same level. 
So I said, homework, it's not gonna feel natural, but tomorrow, tomorrow you go to your HR person, to your manager and ask for a raise. We all want more money. (laughs) I'm sorry? We all want more money. Yeah, yeah. They are simply not gonna come give it to you, even if you're awesome. So you already have the no. Technically, you don't have anything to lose. What, are they gonna fire you for that? No. No. They might just say no. So I also made another research and you're 70% more likely to get a raise if you ask for it than if you don't ask for it. Wow. Yeah. And I say likely because, you know, at the end of the year, people, there's performance increases and inflation. So, so they also, some of them do get something even if they don't ask. But again, only when you are, you know, a, a company owner or a boss, you know that we are just for inflation. Some people are like, oh, I got a raise. Yeah, you got an inflation bo- uh, increase. Yeah, I'm just like, it's just a cost of living increase. That's not uh, actually relative to the work and the value you do. Yeah. Many companies don't even give it. So many times when the increase is like less than 5%, so yeah, two or three, that's inflation. They're supposed to give you that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. but actually pay me for what my work is worth, though. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. then tax it. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. mind-blowing. Like, yeah, gasoline is not getting cheaper. Oh, Jesus. No, it's not yeah. at all. Neither is rent, groceries. I mean, the list goes on. So yeah. Uh, yeah. for yeah. everyone who's listening, if you haven't asked for a raise, listen to those statistics that Rocio just dropped. 70%, the he say, right? 70%, if yeah. you ask for it, are most likely to actually get the raise. Yep. That's yeah. so mind-blowing. if you're smart enough, uh, like... Inflation raises usually occur in, in, at the end of the year. So if you ask for one right now, you might get it. And then also the inflation. Will be done. <laughs> because don't ask for it when, uh, in December so that they say, oh, okay, here's your 3% inflation plus one more percent. You're like, oh, I got four. Like get your four now. And then also another three later. And then get, and then get paid later on in the year. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So that's, that's a great point that you make though, because it is partly on us, on our culture. Where, what are some of the other things that we should keep in mind in terms of the problems that exist and, and who's kind of holding those powers and, and the problems at hand? So you mentioned the system is, is at fault. You mentioned mm-hmm. culturally, we ourselves don't advocate for each other, so we're also at fault. Are there other areas that you can also attribute to why we see such an uh, yeah. imbalance with Latinos in STEM and Latina women in, in tech? Yeah. So what I just mentioned is just one little tiny, tiny, tiny example. There's so many others, so many others that many are in your control. Many others are in the control of the company. Um, so what is in the control of the company? Um, this is a, a, a very interesting issue. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the term contingent worker. It happens also in non-tech companies. You know, In tech, it started when uh, a large company has a big project and then you need a lot more coders and you need a lot more ex sell people to, to launch that project and maintain it, but it's temporary. So, so contingent worker is an um, umbrella term for temp workers, uh, part-time workers, contractors, uh, you know, outsource labor, uh, you know, you hire an agency or a consultancy firm, they bring the people. Um, and it can happen anywhere from the cafeteria to senior developers. Um, so it really happens a lot. So where, what percentage do you think a tech company has on those permanently of their workforce? Less than 10. Uh-huh. 
uh, 55% would be in a Google and a, gooder a better company would be 30%. Oof. So yeah, it's a tough question. What's, what's correct? Like there's people that like those jobs, right? But this is the, the bottom line. If you're a contingent worker at a tech company, because tech companies have all these amazing, amazing benefits, right? So if you're a contingent worker, you cannot have benefits by them. You can have benefits by yourself or benefits by your hiring agency. That's different, but not by the tech company. So that means that if, uh, say, you are an employee and you have maternity leave and unlimited vacation plus options and many other things, but a contingent worker does the same work. Oftentimes they get paid less. Uh, they, they only have yearly contracts. They cannot be promoted or promised any permanent job. I mean, I'm not saying somebody might have, but that's not, you're not supposed to legally. Um, and uh, you cannot, uh, you can only give them, no, you cannot give them maternity leave. They're supposed to pay for that for themselves. But some companies try to give more to them. So I'm not gonna say that all, everything is bad. No, 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 that's not true. But people don't know all those things. So if I get hired by a fancy company, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. But then I should, I should know, oh, as a contingent worker. They, there's people that are like five years a contingent worker and they're just rotating between company to company and they never really get hired. Oh. And, and, you know, for most people, it just doesn't work but they don't know what they're signing in for. Well, so, and there's no equity in that. If, you know, we were talking oh, about equity no earlier, equity. it's like you're doing, like you said, the same amount of work, but you're basically have zero of any of the benefits that Absolutely. everybody else has. Mm -hmm. that, <clears throat> that is exactly right. And in tech, this equity part is extremely important. Uh, like most employees get options and then you get a stake of the company. And when they do well, you do well, right? So they don't, they can't. And it's illegal. Like, not it's not that it's illegal, but you 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 are subject to a lot of liability. Mm. So so this is something that you know we've been advocating a lot. But definitely on the side of the companies, like ten percent sounds good, as you said. You know, you you got you have a project like in the wine industry is maybe it's a harvest season. You bring a lot more people during harvest, but you don't keep them for five years, and it's not fifty percent of your staff. Exactly. Um, so it feels like abusive. It now, definitely when, feels abusive. Yeah. And now then if you see the pool of contingent workers, organization companies don't report on their diversity because they are not supposed to be the ones asking. They could, but they just don't. They say, we don't know. We don't know. But we can tell you that our full-time employees are diverse. So you see a lot of black and brown people in the, in the contingent worker one, but they cannot report on it right? because they're not supposed to act. That almost so feels when, like an abuse of power, though. Like, if you think about it, if you're saying there's more black and brown yeah. individuals in contingent yeah. spaces and you liability. know and you know that there's less equity there, though, then you're directly saying it's OK to give black and brown people less. And there's uh -huh. nothing you can really do about it because of yeah. the way the rules are written out. And for them, it's like, well, see, it's this not on purpose. Wild. It's not like we on purpose say you're brown, you're contingent, you're white, you're a full time. No, they don't do that. But you know, the, here is where the other problems of our society manifest. Yeah, it's true. Our communities are also suffering from disadvantages. There's not a lot of education, not, not the same education, not the same wealth. So it can happen that when you hire your kitchen workers, there's a lot of black and brown people, yeah? If, if you're in accounts payable, you might have more black and brown people than if you are on the executive level position. 
So those things that contingent worker is not helping the system, especially not if you do it at a 50% of your staff. Like they do it to protect liability because any of those contingent workers could sue you saying you're treating me as an employee and they can sue you well. So they protect themselves from that. But this is just hurting us. They say it to, they do it to help us, but the, the, no. the truth is, it's just not helping. So the, here is where I would say, we work 70% with the Latinas because they can change a lot. We work 30% with the companies to address things like this that we cannot change really. This is a... Um, something that is not going to progress working with the system. And that's why we work 10% with lawmakers. Because if they're not going to change, maybe lawmakers can intervene. Because 50% sounds atrocious. I, I don't think that contingent workers should go away completely. I just think that uh, because people say, oh my God, 50% of people are going to lose their jobs. No, that's not what we're seeking. We're seeking for them to be full-time employees. And yes, it's true. We're, it's more expensive if you hire a contingent worker, it is like at least 30% cheaper and you can fire them anytime. Imagine you have a winery, COVID hits, you can, oh, say you have a fire. You cannot harvest this year. So you're not gonna use these people. So they're contractors. They are not working this year. So when COVID hit, our Latinas in tech community were all laid off. Is when I open my eyes and say, wait a second. There's a problem. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely uneven. And they have, we have other unrelated problems, right? Like single mothers and, 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 and things like that. So uh, we're in an unspoken, very deep disadvantage. So I think that uh, lawmakers need to come up with a percentage that is more fair and, and hold the companies accountable. Like you cannot abuse the system like that. No. Yes, it is more expensive. You kind of have to pay for your employees. I was gonna say, but it, invest in your people, just like you're investing yeah. in everybody else there. Yeah. And you know, it, it's almost like somebody is grossly taking advantage uh, of when you have more than 50% yeah. and you're willing to yeah. be like, but I can pay you less because it doesn't come out of my bottom line. Like that's not, exactly. that's not the, pro you're not yeah. valuing me as a whole individual in my existence, exactly. what I bring to the table it's I did not know about this in the tech yeah, industry and, and and some people say well but they are applying to those jobs they know what they're signing in for yes and no because it's also maybe in our culture we get very excited we read it yes I can do this I'm gonna be a googler and we sign in recently a friend of mine is like I signed in to be a, a contingent worker he's white and and I know exactly what I'm in for and I negotiated that but most often than not the Latinas are just going to go in and sign in and, and they are not going to flash it, you know, also. So it is only until they are deeply in that they realize, oh, wait a second. Like everybody's taking a sexual harassment training, but I cannot. Mm -hmm. They can't. People can join the, the Latinx group, but I can't. Yeah. And, and the thing is, a white man doesn't need as much as many pushes like, you know, career development or support networks and things like that. And the things that you need as a Latina that you cannot get. So that's why we exist. So we are that support network, that organization that gives you all those benefits for free. That's incredible. Uh, seriously, you are not only filling a gap and a need and educating people along the way, but you're empowering people to learn more about how to 
accurately validate their existence in companies, advocate for themselves, empowering them to know that they're not alone, that there's a community behind them. And I know that your network too, from what I've understood and, and reading about it, you also work with other tech companies so that if they are looking for people to fulfill certain roles, you almost have like this hub where they can go to and find people who can fill those positions so that if people are really invested on wanting to not just diversify their company, but uh, bring in inclusion, acceptance, belonging, true equity, you have an entire network, 20,000 people who you can easily uh, fulfill any one of those roles at any given time. That is exactly right. And it was not created intentionally like, oh, I want to take all these people so that they can be hired and, I, and we make money that way. First of all, we're a nonprofit. We don't really make money. But it is true. Unintentionally, I have all these uh, 20,000 Latinas and growing uh, as we speak. And then all these tech companies are like, hmm, I need to be diverse. I need to hire more people. And I'm like, well, just don't bring me any contingent positions. So I work with them to make sure that they are bringing full-time positions, well-paid positions to senior levels, not to, I, I'm not going to give you a high, highly skilled Latina to work in the kitchen. No. They are going to go to good places and, and we're going to give them resources so that once they're there, they go to good homes and that they thrive. So that's our goal. That's I our love goal. that. That is amazing. They, you are literally making say, a difference. All of them want to make that difference. All Like all the tech companies, Google and all the ones that I've put as example, they want to do the right thing. And they're with us to do that. Everything that you heard about continued worker is unintentional. It's because their lawyers say, you can't do this. But it's not like they want to. Many of those things that I've been saying, it is their employees that feed me that information. The heads of HR. It's like, legally, I cannot speak about it, but you can. Very true. Well, just seriously, major kudos to you for making that huge difference. I'm sure there have been so many magical moments that you've experienced, uh, people's personal stories, the just the difference that you've been able to make in so many people's lives. Can you tell me about one magical time that sticks out in, in your mind uh, from all of the incredible yeah. work that you've done through Latinas in Tech? Yeah. Oh, my God. There's so many. Before the pandemic, I can say, uh, well, we do so many live events uh, in the different cities. Um, but, you know, when when I go to just one simple event uh, and we always have networking before and after, and there's always a Latina that says, oh, my God, thank you so much. Latinas in Tech changed my life. And, you know, having just that interaction and there's several in one day, I go to my, to, to my pillow like, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, you feel so happy by knowing that it is causing an impact in people. So that. Those, those instances to me make a lot of, uh, 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 give us a lot of happiness. That's why we're doing this work. Now, more concrete, uh, we just had our summit. And I think that that's absolutely one of the best uh, wins that we've had as an organization. We had 2,500 people in, 80 speakers to the level of Dolores Huerta. And, and that's amazing. We had celebrities. We had amazing, amazing people that you haven't heard of, but you might have not heard of. But they're amazing, like Latinas going to the space or Latinas CEOs and yes. investors and amazing, amazing um, uh, conversations. We tackle that contingent worker thing. It was so inspirational. And, and a lot of people get new jobs and 
and connections. And even if it was virtual, I cannot wait for this to be live again um, <laughs> so that we can see those connections happen. It all makes a difference. It all makes a difference. And, you know, there's so many people who day in and day out, we, you know, we all work and sometimes aren't necessarily working passionately towards something that we truly enjoy. Um, but like you said, your, your moments, you find those little moments of joy where you meet people, you hear their stories, you know that at the end of the day, as you lay your head down on your pillow, you know that you are helping to make the world a better place. And while we have all this mess in so many areas and companies, systemic disadvantages, um, things with our government, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're able to make a little bit of that difference. So um, you, you are just a, an incredible individual. I'm so happy to have gotten to meet you. And, and I can't wait to continue to see all of the beautiful things that you're going to create. I do have one question, especially because I know it's at the top of everybody's mind in, in terms yeah. of tech. Every year I know tech companies receive thousands of requests for user data, local, state, um, federal law enforcement. With the recent uh, decision in the overturn of Roe versus Wade, what role do you think tech companies should have now as it relates to how they're going to handle abortion-related data? I know you, you've been speaking about Google um, throughout this time, and I know that they recently stated they would delete user location history for abortion clinic visits. Do you have an opinion about how you think tech companies should, should go about uh, this very, very sensitive time in, in our country? I have a lot of opinions. But they, they are probably personal opinions that Rocio's opinions. Um, Roe versus Wade is, is a big conversation, but it's also very politicized. And at least in tech, we don't really get that involved into political statements. Uh, like we all have very strong feelings about it and, and opinions. It was a horrible, horrible thing, in my opinion, that happened. Now, as a non-data privacy expert, just as a private citizen, I would say, I'm lucky I'm in California, right? We have a lot thousand percent. We have a lot more rights, apparently. Um, I hope that tech companies being in California, most of them, would hold users' data private. Because they're private, I have seen them on and on collaborating with law enforcement when there's something dramatically bad, like somebody's about to commit suicide, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like to save a life. Ethics get involved. So it is really up to the tech company to do the right thing and to protect the rights of of the people they want to protect. Now, there's even within the Latino population, like 30% of Latinos voted for Trump, surprisingly. But you know, many of them voted for Trump because of the abortion part. So I have to respect the difference of opinions. Mm -hmm. um, if you ask Rocio, like, I hate the fact that Roe versus Wade is out because I am pro-choice. Uh, I'm never going to say I'm pro-abortion. I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-equality. But that's not what Latinas in tech does per se. I hope tech companies do the right thing, but tech companies at the end of the day are not the ones that are writing the laws. Like women and men should have the same rights, but also the same responsibilities. So personally, I would say in abortion, like women are the ones that have to carry a baby and that their lives is gonna change. Men can just say, see ya, and maybe they'll pay an alimony, but they're not gonna stop going to high school and to college. They're not the ones that get raped and have to deliver a baby by force. So I, it doesn't sound equal. And that personally, this is Rocio answering, that doesn't feel right. From personal relations, I know that tech companies want to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, they are not the law. They're private companies. They can try to do the best. And like when you're in the eye and opinion of everybody, anything that you move, somebody's not going to like it. Somebody's going to so love it. So scrutinized. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I just don't want to be in their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I appreciate you answering that question so honestly. And, you know, you're absolutely right. They're not lawmakers at the end of the day, which is why uh, people ourselves need to make sure that we're holding everybody else yeah. uh, accountable. Yeah. But the work yeah, that you do do. You get it wrong. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Get it wrong. They're like going into tech companies and to women. What do you think? But wait, who got them pregnant in the first place? Who made this law? Look at them first and hold them accountable first before going like, ooh, Mark Zuckerberg. Mm -mm -mm. Like, nah, nah, nah. Focus. <laughs> the root. We need to get down to the root. That's that's the yeah. whole point. Rocio, again, you know, all of the work that you've created through Latinas in Tech, I'm so excited to continue watching it. If you could give your younger self or, you know, even somebody else who um, is, is hopefully trying to get better in their craft and in their journey, what's a, a piece of advice that you would give to them? I know the first one being yeah. ask for the raise. <laughs> raise but uh I, i'm gonna give two because there's two type of people i want to leave uh, a message to first latinas you remember when i said don't look to the side there will be mosquitoes biting you here and there focus on shining that is the best thing you can do because it gets very demotivating if you keep internalizing all the bad things that will happen mm -hmm. that happen and keep happening but you're in a mission to shine now in that line allies so everybody else that is not a latina uh, stand up for them do you notice those things remove those barriers and look of what are those mosquitoes that are biting them and stand up for them and try to stop them because their voice is going to be even more powerful than the one of the latinas because you know we also have that stereotype of being feisty and spicy Don't, let them <laughs> not fall deeper into that problem and you be the one standing up for them the, the people with the problem here is not the Latina, it's the unconscious biases and, and, and comments that are just not going to help them grow. So that is a comment to, to allies, like don't deposit your fears into them, like help them grow, help them fly. And the day we fall to the ground, help us stand up and fly again. Pick us back up. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it any better. That was beautiful. Rocio, thank you so much for all of the moments that you shared with me today. How can people support and stay connected and, and become a part of the Latinas in Tech organization if they themselves are a Latina yeah. and want to be a part of the hub? Yeah, just go to latinasintech.org. Being a member is free. It's for allies, it's for Latinas. It's, it's, if you're not a Latina, you're an ally. Everything is for free. And, and it's amazing. If you're a tech company, talk to us. 100% uh, of our funds come from organizations. My Twitter is Rocio Medina. We're super happy to you to keep growing together. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited to continue to support, to stay connected. Rocio Van Nirop, for the CEO and co-founder of Latinas in Tech. Un placer, a true pleasure Thank today you. chatting with you. And here's to building a better future. Thank you. Thank you, Gabriela. <laughs>